the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather coming at you on a Thursday morning. We're going to just break down this riveting Hall of Fame game that's going to be on tonight. Jaguars versus Raiders. I'm kidding. We're not going to break any of that down. But if you like to watch uniforms on TV, yeah. Yeah. It's like watching an an, an, an off-season OTA, but they've, you know, got bells and whistles around it like Al, you know, like Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth. I'm going to miss Al Michaels being on NBC, by the way. But we got a lot to get into. Michael Desimo, the head coach of Louisiana Raging Cajun Football, will be joining me at 7.15. That coming up shortly. we got a lot to chat about with him. Players reporting today, fall camp, getting at it. 30 days away from kickoff for the Cajuns. Be here before you know it. Dan Lust, sports attorney, host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast, breaking down the legal side of sports, and he has been doing lots of radio hits lately because there is a lot to dissect as it pertains to the Deshaun Watson situation as well as the Miami Dolphins situation. And as as far as the Deshaun Watson thing goes, you know, I was talking back on Monday when the news came down while we were on the air of Judge Sue Robinson's decision to go six games that I expected the NFL to appeal, but were were was Goodell going to have enough support from all the owners because that's essentially who he represents, enough support to go really hard. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. The NFLPA has let it be known that, you know, their response to any harsh punishment of Watson was going to point out the hypocrisies and the issues from owners in the past and the lack of discipline, even though there's not a situation, um, you know, that's exactly similar to this one. You could say, oh, Robert Kraft, no, it's not the same. Messed up, he should be, should have been, you know, Suspended if you're going to claim that the owners are under the same moral guidelines in the CBA as as some of the players are, which, you know, whatever. But that was a prostitution ring. That was different than sexual assault. And I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not dignifying either for the record. My point is. Do some of the owners want a lot of their dirty laundry brought back to the forefront, out in the news, constantly talked about again? Apparently, enough owners are good with Goodell going back pretty heavy because a lot of the reports out there are suggesting that the NFL is going to appeal with a one-year indefinite suspension, treatment, perhaps, a significant fine if 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 the suspension is less than a year it would carry a significant fine i i don't well what if then you know watson's team decides to appeal well they have until i don't know an hour from now to appeal and, and the, the players association said they weren't going to do it and you know you've already accepted six games so if you were to go back and forth and appeal and then appeal and then drag this thing out to where he could play this season, well, then maybe it drags out through the whole season and the NFL suspends him next year when he loses $46 million instead of $1 million. So they're 
There are a lot of angles at play here, and Dan Lust is going to be able to explain a lot more the legal side of it. Was he surprised at the discipline of the Miami Dolphins? Now that's, you know, the legalities of that are more league-related. With Deshaun Watson, there's been criminal accusations, which he was um, not charged with, by the way. But there were plenty of civil suits settled and lots of accusations. A lot. A lot of. A lot of different parts to this thing. A lot of different parts to this thing. But, tell you what, man, the NFL, apparently, there's enough owners that are like, yeah, we're ready ready for a fight. Let's, let's, let's do this thing. Speaking of being ready for a fight, I mean, at, at this point, these, these Trevor Pinning, Kyle Turley comparisons need to stop. And they need to just, just, just let it go. If you're a young Saints fan that just knows Kyle Turley from tossing the Jets player's helmet in the air on Sunday night football and being a hothead, then you didn't really pay attention to Kyle Turley when he was drafted, what was it, seventh overall to San Diego State by Mike Ditka and the Saints? Because while he was chippy, he was not getting in a fight every single day of his first week of training camp and eventually being kicked out of practice. I know a lot of fans love it. Oh, it's great. It's a, what a nasty guy. You want that in a team. You don't want a player that is getting in a fight with his, with his own teammates every single day. Little training camp scuffle here and there. Cool. To the point that you're getting kicked out. That's enough. As Dennis Allen said yesterday, and I quote, we don't have time for that. I sent two guys in today, and we've got to get our work done. We've got to learn as a team how to compete and how to play and how to practice and push ourselves to the limit, but yet not take it over the edge. It's not unusual for something like that to occur in training camp. It's certainly something we don't want to see happen. It'll be addressed, and we'll move forward. Third practice in a row, he's involved in an altercation with a defensive teammate. Now, you know, a little shoving match with Peyton Turner. Eh. A little shoving match with JT Gray. Eh getting kicked out of practice for getting into it with Malcolm Roach, which involved players from both sides having to come in and break them up. Cesar Ruiz said, it's like when you think he's done, he's not done. I I, I said, look, if you want to find an angle where it's all good and fine, work on your technique more than trying to get in a fight every single practice. It didn't sound the best, Right. You want to get close to that edge, but not cross it. You get too much work to do. You're still raw. You're not even at the top of the depth chart. It's kind of like you can't fully tame a, a wild animal. You can't fully tame it. Certainly can't house train it, but maybe you can, you know, you don't have to go all Siegfried and Roy and you know, have them living in your house and sleeping on the bed with you. But you need to, you need to tame it enough so that, you know, hey, man, you still need to perform in this circus, okay? We need you here. That that line right there at the edge, that's what, that's what this young kid needs. Big nasty, as I call him. And he is. I mean, good Lord, 6'7", 333. 
booted after another practice fight. Kyle Turley did not show up and do that. Now, he got into it in games. He spoke his mind a lot. But it wasn't like there were a bunch of teammates that are like, man, this guy, just like relax, dude. Other than you know, a couple of very notable moments on national television when they were playing an opponent. But day in, day out in practice, and that's that's luck. That's probably something he's he's going to figure out. He'll figure out. He'll figure out. He's got an edge to him. C.J. Gardner-Johnson's got an edge to him. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a hold in. Not participating in all of the drills and practice because he's uh, wanting a contract extension. That's what they do now. Because of the new CBA, players are holding in. Debo Samuel, a hold in, got paid. Because if you don't show up, then you can start getting fined a lot more than you used to. Then you could potentially impact your your pension based on years played, depending on how long the holdout could possibly go. So the days of holdouts and training camps aren't going to be the same going forward. You're going to have a lot of hold-ins. Hey, the guy's there. He's at practice, but he's just going to sit out this drill for a little while. Maybe sit out this part of it. Yeah, go ahead and pay the man. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. Speaking of practice, football practice, the edge you want to roll with, the intensity you want to roll with, how far is too far. We're going to get into that with a former Rage Cajun quarterback, a former professional football player, now the head coach of Louisiana Rage Cajun football. Michael Desimo joins me in three minutes on The Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. phone line Louisiana Rage Cajun head football coach Michael Desimo is on now coach I know in your life many people call you coach they call you Des maybe Michael I mean there has to have been some some folks throughout your life that just called you Mike D I mean has anyone just called you Mike D growing up yeah a bunch bunch of my friends called me Mike D uh yeah you know like I guess like most people I've had a bunch of a bunch of nicknames growing up. Mike D, Mike DZ, Mikey D. Um, yeah, there have been a bunch of them. All right, well, I'll just try to stick with Coach Desimo. But uh, if one slips out, you know, uh, my apologies. I think part of that's just playing. I mean, you, you, you've been in football your whole life. I mean, you know, you and I both know Gerald Broussard well. I mean, as a guy that played and coached, I mean, he just, he literally had a nickname, has a nickname still in life for every single person out there. I, I think it's a, I think it's a football thing. 
Yeah, it might be, but yeah, Coach Broussard. I mean, he, yeah, he. I mean, he was he was the master. Everyone had a nickname, and you never knew where it came from. I mean, some of them were off the wall, but yeah, he he was a uh, he was the master of the nicknames. All right, let's you know with with players. I know we're meeting with with you guys, talking to some players and coaches today, but you've been in this business for a while coach what's your excitement level like for this phase to begin for fall camp and you know i know you coached the bowl game but your first season getting underway with fall camp head coach at ul it really doesn't feel a whole lot different you know um truthfully i mean the excitement level is always high you know the first day of camp and report day and um you know it's it's this year's version of the raging cajun football team they get to go out there and they get to you know, for a lot of these guys, cement, you know, their legacy. A lot of them have been here since 2018 and have been a, a part of a lot of success and some great things. And, you know, today's, a, you know, really kind of the, the beginning of it officially. I mean, coaching the bowl game, in the grand scheme of things, like how much does that – how much did that help you? Is that – because is it, is it overstated? Man, that was really good because, like you said, there's – there's not a ton of things that are all that different, but, you know, it's a bowl game. It's a little unique. Does that help you as you start this phase as the first season as head coach, or was it just kind of, uh, you know, one of a ton of things on the list last year? Um, no, I mean, I, I think that getting to coach the bowl game and having all that stuff in place for the bowl game I think was, was tremendous, you know, for me, and it was huge for for me and for our, really, you know, I mean, shoot, even for the players. Um you know, just to kind of they get a a trial run at it, they get to kind of see what it's going to be like a little bit. And, you know, um, for me though, it was it was it was huge because you know, in particular, getting ready for a bowl game, there are a lot more things than normal um, that go into the planning and organization of it. So it's kind of you're thrown straight into the fire a little bit, so to speak, with with the logistics of having to do everything and you know, kind of figure out exactly the way you want to do it. Obviously, Troy does a phenomenal job, but you know, it's the final decisions are always here. So, you know, we uh, it, it was. I think it was a big help. What in the last, let's say, this summer, uh, and you did Sunbelt uh, Media Days last week in New Orleans, and a lot of interviews, a lot of media stuff. What has been the most asked question for you? Who's who's the quarterback going to be? <laughs> and that's going to just pretty much continue to be asked up until, um, I guess, week one. So. Is there a is there a timeline like is that something that you want to have the answer to sooner rather than later, but maybe not let it be public? Like as a former QB, what's your approach to this competition? As we're only thirty days away from kickoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that by the end of camp, you know, the the competition has to be done. Um, so school starts on August twenty second, so we've got to make a decision by then. Um, you know, I think for the team, you have to make a decision by then. Whenever, you know, I, on my junior year, it was the, the same deal. You know, they had three of us that were in a three-way competition for the for the job, and that was kind of the way that we went into camp. And you know, at the end of camp, made a decision, and that's what it was. Do you? How do you keep all players engaged? I mean, you've got some talented quarterbacks on the roster. It's a two-man competition currently. I ask you that, Coach, just because it seems like there's a lot of talk about transfer portals and NIL and today's athletes just being a different generation. 
What's how do you answer that challenge as a coach to keep all players engaged, whether they're competing for a starting job or for a backup role? Well, that is difficult um, for sure, you know. Um, and the quarterback position, I mean, it's always been this way, right? One of them plays. I mean, you know, my time whenever I played here at UL, we had two backup quarterbacks that transferred at different points in time. You know, I mean, they it's been like that forever. So, you know, the reality of it is, is to think that you're going to be able to keep all those guys, you know, who are all tremendously talented, probably unrealistic, but I think you make the competition for that third spot a real thing. Um, and you make it engaging and you make it, um, something where those guys have something to compete for every day. And I think that'll help, uh, will help a whole lot. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just kind of, got to see where you're at, but you can't, you know, you can't live day to day trying to keep people out of the portal. I mean, that, that's just going to take away from doing the things you need to do for your team and the guys that want to be here. Louisiana head football coach, Michael Desimo, our guest coach, you mentioned quarterbacks and, you know, most of the time there's one of them, maybe occasionally a team will have a two quarterback system. I know that's not the plan here this season, but I look at the O line, um, in in a, and you can correct me if I'm off base with this, but I feel like when you look at all the other positions on offense and defense, right, the D line, linebacker, safety, receiver, tight end, running back, H back, fullback, whatever, it seems like there is more um, rotation, right? There are more guys maybe coming in and out at multiple positions. Whereas at the O line, if everybody's healthy, that's that's a little more you know rare. Um, and for me. I I think, you know, while the quarterback question is the one you're going to be asked about the most, uh, I just, I think the, the questions about the O-line, which is there's not as much experience there, right? There's there's new faces there. You've, you've got more experience at other positions. You know, the question mark about the O-line and them being prepared for this season, that's at the top of the list for me when I look at Louisiana Raging Cajun football this year. Where's your confidence level right now at the offensive line? And, and what do you think the biggest key for them is between now and the season opener against Southeastern to get prepared and ready to go this year? I mean, you are right. Most people don't play as many people on the O-line, but, but we actually, over here, we really, we've tried to play, you know, eight guys in a, in a normal rotation here and, you know, truthfully, that, that's why I feel good about our, our group on the offensive line. Um, you know, Ru- Carlos Rubio was a starter last year. He got hurt for the year. Um, you know, obviously we had a lot of faith in him, you know, even last year and certainly do going into this one. Um, A.J. Gilley started the entire year. You know, David Hudson started in three or four games. Um, you know, we had some injuries and played great. Uh, Nathan Thomas was part of that eight-man rotation at the end of the season last year and played really well for us. Um, you know, Jack Harrington's a kid who from the time he got here as a true freshman, we had him kind of penciled in that rotation, had a couple injuries, you know, um, throughout the course of his career early on that, that kept him, you know, kept him from playing a whole lot. But, you know, last year he was, I mean, one of the key pieces in that rotation. So, you know, you got five guys right there that have played quite a bit. And then behind them, you know, you've got guys that, you know, most of them have been here for a long time, you know, two, three, four years, and we've seen their work, and we know that, you know, it's really their opportunity to get in there and play. So, you know, I don't think we'll have an issue at all finding eight players that we're 
excited about getting in there and uh, getting an opportunity to compete. You mentioned A.J. Gilly. I was uh, talking to Andre Jones and Dante Fleming a few weeks ago, and they said that I was asking them who, the, who they thought the strongest player on the team was. They mentioned Alvin Hutchinson. They mentioned A.J. Gilly. Uh, I guess that's probably a question I should ask Coach You know, neighbors later today, but in your mind, who is just pound for pound the strongest guy on the team? Yeah, that's a good question for Coach Neighbors. You know, I don't know. AJ Gilly's a people mover uh, for sure. He's got some. He's got an incredible amount of power in his low ha- lower half. Um, you know, but you look at you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different guys that you know, different body types and stuff. I mean, Dre Washington is extremely explosive and powerful in the lower half. But uh, if you ask Connor, you better get ready because I'm sure he'll have. I'm sure he'll have all kind of answers for you whenever y'all get to that point. I'm looking forward to that. I'll ask him today. Wide receiver, Coach, a lot of depth there last year. Many would say yeah. the deepest position on the team last year. What about this year at that position? How's it looking? Um, you know, I mean, you're you're excited that in a year with a lot of question marks, you know, that's a group that you feel there aren't many. Um, you know, you've had a lot of production there for a long time. Um, those guys have, have certainly um, – lived up to expectations in the spring and in the summer. So it's, it's been, that's a good situation to be in right there. You know, there's really not a whole lot of question marks. Now you do have a couple young guys coming in that you say, wow, these guys are going to be really good in the future. Um, that's what someone's asking me, like, you know, do you think you're going to see any of these young guys compete right away? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see when we get in the fall camp, but if one of them does, I can promise you it's a really good thing because yeah. that, that room is, is talented and they've got a bunch of proven guys in there. you got a number of guys that tied in as well, obviously. I mean, Johnny Lumpkin, um, I know it's not like it's been forever, but it feels like he's been at UL forever. Um, yeah. And, you know, Neil Johnson, just lot, I, I, that's just two guys. But that's another position, Coach, where it seems like a lot of experience, a lot of depth. Yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, um, Johnny Neal and Pierce Meagle, I mean, those three guys have played, I mean, tons of snaps over here. Uh, you know, those those three guys and, and Hunter Bergeron, who, who uh, finished up last year, I mean, those guys have been doing it. I mean, Johnny was in 2018, you know, when we just had two tight ends that we could play because of injuries and other things. You know, Johnny was playing, I mean, 50, 60, set, 60 snaps a game in some games, and uh you know, he's played great for us. He is one of the best leaders that, that I've ever been around. Um, lead by example, not scared of conflict, um, but leads in a way that guys want to follow him. Um, you know, that, that, that guy has just, he's made that entire room better. And I've seen guys like Neil Johnson um, and some of the young guys, too, that are coming up. I've seen them grow up so much under Johnny's leadership. Um, you know, that, that, that group right there is, is a special one, you know, particularly to me. And, you know, there's a young man on there, last name is Lombardi. I'm sure he never has to hear about that anywhere he goes. That kid is awesome, man. Joe is, uh, you know, he wants to be a football coach, which I guess, you know, that would make sense. Pretty uh, pedigree but there. he, uh, he, uh, he's definitely, he, he's a, a great kid. He does everything you ask him to do, man. And he, um, he approaches the game like a coach. You can see it even as a young as a youngster. You can tell that he's he's got a little bit different approach to it. Coach Michael Desimo, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. Uh, health-wise, Coach, how are you guys heading into camp? 
you know, knock on wood, um, we had a really good summer. Um, you know, I mean, you got a couple guys in and out with some, you know, soft tissue injuries and things throughout the course of it, but not a whole bunch. Um, you know, really, uh, you know, Christian Sabatini, who was a backup tight end that, uh, that actually that played in some games last year and played well. He's um, he's taken a medical uh, retirement um, because of his back. You know he's had issues. You know really since high school since he got here. So you know he decided that he's not gonna he's not gonna continue to play. Um, and then um, Kendrell Williams got hurt in the spring. He's out for the year. Um, so you know that's a two. And it's always unfortunate um, anytime you have someone who you know who's out for the year, you know, how hard they work for it. But, uh, you know, those, uh, the rest of those guys, you know, I mean, we're, we're in good shape right now. So we try to keep it that way. On the defensive side of the ball, where heading into camp, do you feel most, most comfortable from a depth standpoint? What unit? Um, I think depth wise, I think it's probably, uh, the D line, um, you know, a bunch of guys there who have, who have played, um, and played really, really well for us. And then even their backups have had significant time. Um, you know, like right now you got, you know, Mason Norsey's penciled in behind Zion Hill. Well, I mean, Mason Norsey's has played some really good football here. Um, you know, I think the rest of the defense, I think when you go like to linebackers and safeties and corners, the starters you feel like great about, right? You've seen it on Saturdays. They've proven themselves in games. The backups – we're excited about certainly you know, those guys that we recruited and we worked really hard to get here and develop, but they haven't proven it on Saturdays, you know? So a lot of those positions on defense, you know, like linebacker corner safety are a lot like the running back room where you got a guy that's proven that you're fired up about that, you know, can do it, that you've seen it do it. And behind them, you're sitting there saying, Oh man, like who's going to win this job? Like who's going to win these backup jobs? Cause you've got some really good ones in there. It's going to be who rises to the occasion. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good situation to be in where you're going in where there's a lot of jobs that are up for grabs, but it's not necessarily um, starting jobs, you know, where it's going to be guys that are featured that have to, that have to perform every week. These guys will be able to grow up as the season goes on. So I think it's a good thing. When you got a player like Zion Hill, who, you know, I think many would agree with me, like a, a, a pro future. I mean, he's got that kind of talent, you know, he's, he's been, just a key player for several years now. What's the challenge to him in his senior year? Like what is, I guess specifically, what what does a big step look like for him in your eyes in his final year of college football? You know, I mean, I think production-wise is going to be to continue to, to continue to play at the same high level. I think for him, you know, what he's had to do and, and has done as he's grown as a leader um, on our team and, you know, Zion is a guy who, you know, physically we're going to have to make sure we, I mean, the guy, you know, a lot of people don't know this because he doesn't miss games. He just plays, but I mean, he's been through, I mean, the guy, the wear and tear, I mean, he's played so many snaps here. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to have to manage him and, you know, he's going to have to go in and learn to play to me a little bit different in that, you know, we need to probably manage his snaps a little bit better. Um, and put them in key situations to affect the game and not just try to let it ride. You know, we've got enough good players behind him in the past. You know, we come back in on a, on a Sunday and Zion would play 75 or 80 snaps, and it's, it's taking a, a little bit of a toll on him physically. So we're going to have to do a good job and make sure that we 
put him in there in key situations, and he's going to have to learn that means that he can just go as hard as possible because we're going to take care and we're going to manage his snaps a little bit better with the depth we have on the D-line. I know on special teams, Coach Reese Burns, you got your you got your punter. Uh, Kenny Amanderes last year was playing and got hurt. Is there an open competition at the kicking position, or, or is it his to lose here over the next few weeks? I mean, it's Kenny's to lose for sure. Um, you know, he's Kenny. I, Kenny's earned that. You know, he's come in. He's he's competed for us before. He's made kicks and games. Um, you know, and and really throughout the spring and the summer, he's been really good. It, it, it I wouldn't call it an open competition. Kenny's the starter, um, but it's his to lose for sure. Um, you know, and and we got some guys that have that have done a good job throughout the course of spring. You know, they they work really hard in the summer. They compete. Um, you know, every day they go out there. I mean, you can you pass by, you can see the balls are up in the air, and they're going after it. So um, it'll be fun to see this fall. But yeah, it's definitely Kenny's to lose. Head coach Michael Desimo, Louisiana Raging Cajun football season begins 30 days from today, the season opener at Cajun Field against Southeastern. Just a few more for you, Coach, and I'll let you run. I know it's a busy day. I um, A couple days ago, I ran into former UL wide receiver Jalen Williams, and you know, we were talking Cajun ball, and uh, he started talking about you. And, you know, one thing he mentioned to me was, he felt like um, you know you understand the importance of of like, mental health and kind of knowing when to push harder, when to lighten the load a little bit. How have has has that part of college football in your mind changed from when you played fifteen years ago? You know, I guess for those that that are in it, they probably have you know a little bit better understanding because on the outside, someone could hear oh mental health and it could mean a thousand different things to them, but. You know, when you hear a former player say, "Look, he understands that and it's a good thing." What is that? What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, it means a lot. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think of the basic, most basic thing. It's it's the human element. You know, I mean, th- these guys are not robots. Uh-huh. You know, and um, you know, football. Uh, you know, football has changed. I mean, whether people want to admit it or not, and I mean, society's changed a little bit. Um, you know, it used to be, you know, there's like a stigma about mental health and it used to be, uh, you know, toughen up, push through, get through it. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not the case, right? Like they're, it's a significant, um, it's a significant issue that has to be addressed and it has to be dealt with properly. And I think, you know, maybe more even, maybe even more so than mental health, because, um, you know, we've never been the kind of operation here uh, that just grinds our kids in the ground. I mean, Coach Napier was not like that at all. I mean, um, you know, I think that maybe it's a little bit more what he's talking about is maybe it's like the morale and the team psyche sometimes, right. you know I mean? I, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that sometimes, you know, being thrown a bone when you're working really hard, I think that's the way to do it. Um, I've studied a lot of, you know, talked to a lot of people, you know, in the off season about different places that do fall camp a little bit differently in the structure and the way they organize it and kind of how they, you know, how they set it up and, you know, I do think that there are some things that, you know, our kids work their tails off now. I mean, you know, you've been around them enough, Scott, to know. I mean, they doesn't matter. Whatever you put on a practice script, they're going to go out there and they're going to go do. Um, you know, and I just think that for us it's going to be to make sure that this team is – they're going to be sharp because they're going to practice really hard. You know, their their blade's going to be sharp and they'll be ready to go. Um, but for us sometimes finding that right balance and making sure that they're fresh and making sure that they're, you know um, – 
you know, really in a good mental space where they're excited about being out there and playing and they're, you know, ready to go. So, I mean, you know, it means a lot to me that Jalen, you know, would say something like that. Um, but, I mean, for sure, I mean, I certainly, you know, I mean, I guess it's, it's been a long time now, but, you know, that physical grind of fall camp, you don't ever forget it when you're in it. And um, every now and then, you know, I remember when Coach Bustle would, would hit us with the we're going to the pool day, you know, during fall camp, that was that was always a uh, that was a morale booster for sure for the team. <laughs> no doubt, man. Final question, coach. Thirty days until kickoff. Just end it with a generic question. What, what in your mind, if you only had to pick one thing, what's the biggest key to you accomplishing? You guys accomplishing everything on the list in front of you as it pertains to your team being ready for for kickoff on September fourth. it's really simple it just takes doing the daily things better than everybody else and that's the way we have to do it um you know whatever's on that schedule day by day don't flip ahead in your book you know just what's what's today and let's go out there let's go today and let's go do it the best that we can and if if we do that you know throughout this fall camp um by the time we get to this first game over here at home we'll be in a really good place so um i expect you know our coaches and our players will certainly do that um and you know it's really it's it's nothing earth shattering, man. That's what most of the good teams they just are really good at the details. Win the day, no doubt, Coach. I appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to chatting with you throughout the season. We'll see you a little bit later today, albeit in a different kind of media environment. But thanks for uh, for for chatting with us. I know the audience always enjoys it. They appreciate the perspective, and I'll let you get back to work, man. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you. You got it. That is Louisiana Rage Occasion head coach Michael Desimo. Appreciate him taking the time. And trust me, he is busy. He is. It's a busy day today. And uh, the fact that he comes on and chats for 20-plus minutes, insight into the team, really good stuff there. And, you know, I think in, in, in bringing up the conversation I had with Jalen and, and relaying that to, to coach there, I think that word that he used – Balance, right? Balance. Knowing that balance. Mental health can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And as he said, look, we're not under Coach Napier and me. We don't grind players into the ground. It's knowing that balance, knowing just that human element. It's, it's almost hard to put into words. I mean, I think he, he, he did the best he could. But, you know, having players appreciate that, let me tell you something. That is a big part of any culture within a program. And as it pertains to this one, a Louisiana Rage Occasion football program that has the longest winning streak in the country of 13 straight games. We'll stew on a couple of other things that stood out to me, including what he said about the quarterbacks. If you missed some of that conversation, we'll have it up for you on the website a little later on this morning. Great Scott Show continues right after this. CSP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It does go well with a chicken. On and on to the dog. On and on to the baker dog. On and on to the baker dog. On and on to the baker dog. Now, let me introduce myself, America. No matter what you order, but we got it in stock. Now, we got it online. Pop off the lift with the 
back into the Great Scott Show. Coming at you on a Thursday. Good talking to Coach Desimo this morning, man. See that that th- those kinds of interviews, and whether you know, I don't mean ones that I give, but just in general, more of an in-depth coach interview. From any standpoint, wherever I hear it, in the month of August, college football coach, pro, high school, that gets me more jacked for football season than the Hall of Fame game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got an email from Ryan. He says, Scott, do you know the spread on the Hall of Fame game tonight? Now, I don't know if Ryan is serious or if he's just messing with me. If you get a bet on the Hall of Fame game. But... Since you asked, I did look it up. <laughs> Las Vegas minus two and a half, over under 30 and a half. Mm. Kyle Sloter, New Orleans Breakers legend, in the mix tonight for Jacksonville. Seven o'clock on NBC. I will not watch it. But Kyle Sloter, quarterback. Try to make his way into the league. It is, I I always say, the single most important position in American sports. Now, in baseball, you can have the elite starting pitcher, but he's not throwing every game. In softball, you might be able to pull it off by just having an elite pitcher that does it all the time. So if you want to argue, you know, elite pitcher. that, But, like, if you don't have the quarterback in football, it's going to be tough. And so, of course, the question that Coach Desimo has been asked the most, and of course the question he'll be asked about the most today at around 1 o'clock when he's available to the rest of the media. And if you want to watch that, you can watch it live on our Twitter feed, at ESPN Lafayette. We'll have a lot of stuff for you over there today between 11 and 1. Make sure you're following us. He's going to be asked about the quarterbacks. Chandler Fields... Ben Woolrich. When does he want to have it determined by? August 22nd, end of fall camp. Not a let's keep stretching this thing out. Let's not make an announcement until, you know, the, he says, look, the, 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 the guys need to know. The team needs to know. We need to know. No talk of potentially a two-quarterback system or what they did in Coach Napier's first year which was Andre Nunez and then Levi Lewis every, what, third or fourth series? No. No. We need to know. You know, and and in Woolridge, you know, a guy from transfer originally from Fresno State, 6'3", 213, California kid, and you got Chandler Fields, who everyone here has, has seen. Played at Rummel, a Metairie kid, but you've seen him come in. I I like last year whenever Levi would have to come out for a play, whether it be because he got nicked up or maybe his helmet got knocked off. Oh, in comes Chandler Fields. They never just – typically when a backup comes in for like a single play during a series, not for for specific strategic reasons, but because the starter had to come out for, you know, again, maybe he lost his helmet or something. 
Typically, you got a guy that comes in, oh, it's first and 10 or second and seven. He's going to hand the ball off. No, they're like, no, Chandler, we're calling a pass play here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. 9-13 last year for 106 yards and a touchdown. Appeared in eight games. He is been working hard. He's waiting in the wings. And then you got you know, a number of other guys at that position. And because there is just one of them, you could be a backup on the D line. You're probably going to get in on game day if you're, you know, if you're good. But you don't have to be a starter to get in there, get some reps. At quarterback? Yeah, you do. And so I just I think him being honest that's what the one thing I like about Coach does. He he's he's so far when you ask him something, he answers it pretty straightforward. You know, how do you keep all the guys engaged when they know, you know, they're not competing right now for the starting position? He said, look, it's difficult, right? You try to have everyone pulling in the same direction. Guys want to play. They're competitors. And look, you got a Zy McDonald. You got a, you know. Down, Chris. You've got a number of quarterbacks, Lance Lejeune, right, that are talented and they want to play. Hunter Herring, right? They're young, you know. Keep working. Maybe your turns in line in the future. Maybe their injuries happen. A lot of stuff can happen. But I liked his point about I can't, you know, as a coach, you can't sit here every day and worry about the transfer portal. You can't try to constantly, he didn't use this exact phrase, but I'll use it. You can't constantly try to recruit within with the guys you've already recruited and signed. Because then you're just not paying attention to the other more important things you got to get done. And it goes back to the word that gets used a lot in sports, and that's culture. Which is a code word, but it, it fits. It makes sense. You know, when Coach Napier took over, he talked so much about culture. We talk a lot about culture change. We, we talked about the Pelicans last season, Willie Green, the culture change. If you're sick of hearing the word culture when it comes to sports and what teams are trying to do, well, be prepared to throw up a lot because that word isn't going anywhere because it's, it's apropos. It makes sense. It is the word to use to, to describe. And when you have the right culture in place – you're still going to get some guys that maybe hit the portal, but it's – you would like to think it's because, man, I I know, I, I know I've put in the time and I have some opportunities elsewhere, not because, oh, well, they, they everything was against me. i got to get out of here. But you don't have to spend the time worrying about that aspect of it. You just do your job as a coach, and then the other things fall into place. Football, baby. Football. I love it. No, 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 not the Hall of Fame game, but I love it. I love it. Look at me sitting here talking trash about it. Maybe maybe I'll tune in for a few minutes tonight just, just to see some uniforms and hear Chris Collinsworth. You know, Mike, it, it really is the culmination of a couple of things. <laughs> you got the Jaguars who, 
you know, had a disaster of a season with Urban Meyer, and they're, they're feeling rejuvenated. And we're not going to see any of their key players. We're going to see Trevor Lawrence or Travis Etienne. But, but what we're going to see. And then you got the Las Vegas Raiders who had every reason to hang it up last season and the issues and John Gruden being fired. And they, they, they held, they stuck together long enough and were in the playoffs competing with the Bengals, who I used to play for, who went to the Super Bowl. But Darren Waller, Chandler Jones, the additions they've made, Devontae, and I can't wait. And then you get the Chris Collinsworth overbite, where he just bites the lip. I, that's what I'm excited about. That should tell you what you need to know about the Hall of Fame game. Great Scott Show continues next hour. Remember at 830, Dan Lust is joining me, the sports attorney. You hear him on ESPN, on CBS, on Fox Sports, on this these airwaves. You'll hear him this morning at 830. Looking forward to getting his perspective on everything that is unfolding with uh, the Deshaun Watson case and the NFL saying they're going to appeal and what are the routes they'll take and what's that going to look like. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues right after this. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prater. Steal the show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Brather. Joining me now, an impromptu interview. I just saw him in the building, and I kind of, I would say that I had to convince him to come in, but I just said, you want to come on? He jumped about seven foot, ten and a half inches into the studio. (laughs) Hollis Conway, the uh, Olympic medalist. Thought for a minute he might get upgraded to gold. That that happened recently. We'll we'll chat about that with him. But Hollis Conway is here, uh, Rage Cajun legend, but a guy that many. I would say Hollis, like depending on who you ask around the city of Lafayette. Now most people know that you you medaled in the Olympics, but you you come to and you could correct me. You come across to me as a guy that a lot of people know you, but they know you from like different because you kind of have your hand in a lot of different cookie jars. You're a very busy guy. Absolutely. My my goal in life is for people to know me more for me serving them than me being in the Olympics. And so uh, I like to tell people I'm pretty famous in about a 20 mile radius. You step out of 20 miles, people kind of heard of me and you get a little bit further. And so I'm, I'm kind of local famous. I'm, I'm joking. I, I, you know, in the track world, I've had a lot of success and I'm excited about that. But the opportunity to give back and especially here, um, which I call my hometown where I went to school, met my wife, um, uh, I love getting out of the community and and in as many ways possible as I can. Yeah, you're you're involved, uh, you know, all over the lo- place. Local government, you're involved at, at UL. You're, you know, you, you you strike me as a guy. Like, how do you relax? Is it just to do something else, or do you like do you ever just kick up your legs and and like hang out? Or yeah, I'm I am such an extrovert when I'm around people, but I'm an introvert when I'm at home. Yeah. I, I don't. We don't go out. I don't 
drink. I don't like. I just like sitting at my house. Me and my wife. We we like to watch movies. We go to the movies a lot uh, and watch all kinds of movies except scary movies. But I am a movie guy. But yeah, I lay back and relax. I like to try to play golf, but it's not very relaxing. If somebody was playing Hollis Conway in a movie, what, what actor? Denzel Washington. I, it's just. <laughs> it's funny. I'll ask like UL football players currently on the roster that question sometimes, and some of them will say Denzel. I'm like. You know, he's, I mean, I know he's amazing, but that would take some prosthetics. I mean, you're, he, but Denzel. It can be done. He could, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Denzel could do it. Denzel could Denzel do Washington. it. Denzel um, Washington. How are you feeling about, about, I mean, we just talked to Coach Desimo last hour for a while with fall camp getting started today. How, what are your thoughts on, on your football heading into this season? I, I am such a Cajun fan. You know, I grew up uh, in some really tough conditions, hadn't seen anything, hadn't been anywhere, and and my experience at then USAO kind of shaped my life, the mentors I had, the opportunity that I have. And so I'm such a Cajun fan, and I love all the sports and all athletics. And probably one of my greatest joys is before I took this job, I was assistant athletic director for two years and um, just absolutely loved it. And so I am so excited and nervous at the same time. You know, I'm a track guy, so I watch football. You know, I was just with Jake DeLome yesterday, but I – I don't pretend to know all the details, but you know, I'm like, okay, who's going to be the quarterback? <laughs> you know, well, that defense. Last year, we won a lot of games, but a lot of those games were really close. They came down to seven games, seven one uh, possession games. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are not good for your heart. And so, you know, can the ball keep bouncing in your favor? You know, games we need to dominate, we need to dominate. So I feel like we have a really great team. I don't know who the quarterback will be, but I feel like if the offensive line is there and we have running backs and wide receivers, I think we're going to be pretty good. But, man, I just I get so nervous because I don't know. Yeah, Next time you see Jake, ask him how his eyesight is. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I will. He, years ago he did, but this is back when he was playing on the Saints, he did a, a an ad for La Hay Eye Care and he had got the LASIK surgery and at the end of the commercial, during the commercial, he, he's you know giving a testimony. He's like, the next day it was almost twenty twenty, and then <laughs> so every time I ask him, he's like, it's twenty twenty. And at some point, by the twenty twentieth time I asked him, you know, he started getting annoyed. So just throw <laughs> so that in there. I'll, I'll, I will do that. He might be like, who told you? Who told you to say that? Was it Scott? Um, uh, Hollis Conway is is in studio with us for a little while. Uh, well, since it's your first time in here with me, I, you know, I got it. What's your, what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? Ooh, um, oh, goodness. I can't think of the name of it. I, um, probably something off License to Ill. That was back when you, that was back. In oh, your, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think that's the only one I know. Um, all, all I can hear there, rock, whatever song that Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Beastie Boys known to let the beat drop. That's, that's what you're looking for. And then there's, you know, like, you're right, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, all that good stuff. Um, your kind of music. I mean, you know, some folks know the Conway family is, you know, there's there's a pretty good singer in there. Yeah, I have a, a daughter that's a really good singer. I'm excited about her. She just finished her um, time with Tina Turner Musical, and she's going to six on Broadway, uh, which is incredible. That's awesome. Um, but, man, my... My music, uh, musical taste is broad. Uh, I mean, I like a lot of old school R&B, just old school stuff, Commodores, that, that type of stuff. But then I get Zotico. Uh, I like country music. Uh, I got my older daughter loves country music. Really? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, uh, Chris uh, Young. Um, 
you know, so I like country music. And now I'm I'm learning Broadway, you know, uh, I love Broadway Hamilton music, and into the uh, uh, into the woods and, and those yeah. type of deals. And so, so she, and, uh, she's on Broadway right now. You she's on Broadway right now. And That's then, uh, but my the music that relaxes. I love some 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 gospel music. Just you know, calms my spirit, inspires me, gets me going, gives me the energy I need to make it. So I got oh. a broad range. Hollis Conway, little impromptu interview. I didn't have any time to prepare. I just saw him. He came in. Mano Duplantis, yes, for Sweden, it's from Lafayette. Yes, I mean I I he's pretty good. He's pretty good. I I think he may be the best athlete ever to come out of Louisiana. Now, I'm a track and field guy, sure. and I understand that it's not as well known in, in the United States. It's the number two sport in the world. It's soccer and it's track and field. So when you get outside the United States, there are kids who grow up doing track and field all their whole life where it doesn't happen here. But what Mondo has done since a freshman in high school, I don't think could ever be done by anybody else. Now, you know, his dad competed while I, you know, I'm, I'm dad's a little older than me, but I competed with a dad. But I would like to say, as a high jumper, where you jump off of our legs over a bar and land mm-hmm. in a pit, he's cheating. He's using a long stick to propel himself <laughs> in the air, and I didn't have a stick, so there, I'll leave that there. So yeah, yeah, he's he's cheating if he was competing in like the high jump, but yeah, know, well, just, you know, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think he he may be the greatest, greatest athlete to, of all time. I mean. Oh, absolutely! How do what, what's so impressive to me is like he I I liken him to the Usain Bolt of you know the hundred meter because when you're the best ever and you break the record and then you break your own record again and then again I mean he's broken the world record six times. Yeah, when I when I was competing there was a guy from Russia named Sergey Buka who who did the same thing. You know we have the opportunity in events like that the high jump. And the pole vault is that when you jump, you can move the bar up just a little bit and, and clear that and stop. You know, a lot of times when you're running, you don't really have that ability to right. say, I'm just going to break it this and then the next time right. I'll break it that. And so there's an advantage in the event that you're in. Um, you're right. That so helps. Different than bolt somehow being able to have the. Right. Body control. I'm going to run 93.2, yeah. and then right. I'll run 93.3. Right. One, <laughs> I think he was that brilliant though to do it because Andy oh, had, absolutely he had something, and I think it was his contract with Puma, where every time he set oh, yeah, the record again, he got a he got a bonus. So absolutely, absolutely, like, when you break the world record, you get a nice bonus. And uh, but it's it's simply incredible what he's done, the dominance that he has, and and coming from this area, it's kind of special. We we have incredible athletes come out of this area in every sport. Yeah, Imando is uh, a rock star in Sweden, and um, I tried to be Swedish. Um, it didn't work. It didn't work. No, just what? What? What gave it away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no man, you, you, everything. You, you, you competed proudly for the U.S. and um, you know the truth is, you mentioned a, 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 a Russian athlete earlier. It wasn't that long ago they took away. That was at the IOC. They took away thirty years worth of Russian. Yeah, medals I think it was thirty were, years. And they were cheating. They were cheating their rear ends off. No one is surprised to hear that. So, you know, you were you were competing at a time where some of the some of those competing against you were, were cheating. I mean, that's yeah. I, you might not say it, but I'll say it. I was in a different era. You know, we still had you know communist communist East Germany. You know, we were in, I competed in a in a it's different the USSR era. Back then. And um, 
And I like to think it would have been interesting if they'd have went back a few more years. What would happen? Would I be an Olympic gold medalist? I got a silver medal. I, um, so let me ask you this. Do you know? So they went back and took the medals away. Did they then award the, the silver medalist golds? Or was it? did they just kind of say, look, we're I not going to do that. We're just, we're just washing ourselves of... I don't know. I was so upset. I stopped. I stopped, stopped paying, <laughs> I stopped paying like, attention. I missed it by two years. It's like man, darn. I it by two years. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, silver medalist. I mean, that doesn't still number two. Doesn't slap the same way gold medalist. <laughs> no. uh, it doesn't look Olympic gold medalist. That is uh, that will always mean a ton. Um, and you know the fact that that you were able to do it. You know. Going to USL, growing up in what North Louisiana, correct? Shreveport, Louisiana, and then down here to to Cajun country, and then you know the only time you would leave is to go compete in track and field somewhere. That's right. Well, I met a real pretty woman and married her, and so I think she put something in the jambalaya, and I couldn't leave. Couldn't leave. <laughs> What's your favorite Cajun food? I like smothered pork chop. It's not Cajun food, but they, the way they cook it. I mean, anything, you know, it, 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 anything yeah. could have a Cajun the, the gravy. I like the gravy up north. You know, we 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 cook with flour and black pepper. You know, we got a little thicker gravy up north. It's I, good. I, I heard a guy. For, it's funny. People ask me that aren't from Louisiana. You know, I I, w- I would imagine it's like this in a lot of states. Different parts of the state, you're going to get different individuals. But North Louisiana and South Louisiana are so different. Very different. And I um. I met a guy the other day, I think he was a contractor, and said, Hi, my name's Billy. And I said, Whoa, you're <laughs> Billy, you're not from K oh no, I ain't from Casey country. I'm from up in Monroe. I was like, that's just a reminder of, you know, um the different cultures within within this great state. But, you know, you're a guy that's always, you know, repped UL and, and been a part of it. I know you get excited about all the sports and you know, you are an Olympic medalist and even though you know you weren't able to use a, a pole like like Mondo <laughs> did, uh, you know you've done you've done. Where would you rank yourself among all time Rage Cajun athletes? If you I don't know, I struggle athletes. with because you get these comparisons all the time, even within sports, whether it's Michael or LeBron. I don't think people take into consideration the different dynamics, the different eras, the different. You know, equipment, different sure. shoes. Um, it's different. So I don't know how to compare second at the Olympics to uh, runner-up at the Super Bowl with Jake. You know, sure. I'm more likely because I spend a lot of time in our community and trying to help our kids and inspire them to say, listen, you know, you each have an individual talent. You have to work to be the best that you can be and work and be happy with where you are with what you accomplished. And so if I take that mentality, uh, I think that we've had incredible athletes across incredible sports, whether it's um, um, trampoline, you know, Mm -hmm. the gifts are so different, but the stories are so different from where they came from. And so, you know, I would tell a kid who maybe jumps five feet over a bar that his performance might be better than me jumping seven, ten and a half, because he may not have had that ability. He may have worked extremely hard and, and did everything to create something, to do something that he may have never been able to do with the ability that he has, we don't want to minimize that because he didn't get a silver medal. He may, He's not even going to make the Olympic team. Yeah. And so, you know, the it's great when we talk about, you know, well, you might have been the best all-time Cajun athlete, 
But I know the stories of some of these kids who come out of communities with nothing and overcome out just to get to college and then they get a degree and, you know, playing college sports, uh, the number of people that do that. So I don't, I don't do that too much. Um, but the fun part is, is that if you're having that conversation, I should be somewhere in there. You know, but I'm still a track guy, and I still think, man, they're gonna talk football, and basketball, and baseball. They're not even gonna mention us track I guys. I put together a list. This was years ago of like best athletes in team sports, and I made sure to put that in there. And then you know, you immediately responded on Twitter like, Come I, on, <laughs> I remember that. I remember what that. Is this? I'm like, well, I, you know, I, yeah. but we, I mean, some of the story. If you get to know the stories, because we oh. want kids to feel like that they can inspire to to be better, sure. to chase their dreams. The reality is, I mean, I've jumped 17 and a half in 1991. It's still a record. Not many people are ever going to do that. I don't want a kid to say, you know what? I can't do that. I want the kid to know that, hey, start where you are and take the next step. Where it ends up, who matters? Who knows? Because um, the reality is I didn't accomplish all my dreams. I wanted to be the world record holder and win an Olympic gold medal. Didn't do either one of them. I think what you know what you bring to the table and and what you do in the community and 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 helping you know people from all kind of different communities, you mentioned not accomplishing that dream, but what you did after that because one hand you you let's say hypothetically you meet a young man you, humble beginnings works hard, earns a scholarship, plays a sport, gets a degree, then what right? what you did after that and what is your message? Because like I'll, you know, in this job I've gotten to know in some sports more than others, I, I guess I know more former football players than the other sports, but you know, it's different for some of these guys when they finish, they're, they're right out there. They know what they're doing. They're following it they're And there are others that are just kind of floating. Like, I'm not sure what to do now. What, right. What's your, what's your message about that? And, and how do you sort of, draw from your own life to, to help those in those situations? That's one of the toughest messages of all, you know, because I always say it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, the people you meet, the lessons you learn, and mm-hmm. all of those things. But I'm very careful because every person that accomplished the impossible, it was impossible before they did it. And they held on and they believed the impossible. So if you tell a kid don't focus on the impossible, focus on the journey, then you may miss the impossible. Because a lot of times it looks like that kid will never accomplish anything possible. So it's it's really tricky because on one hand you're saying it's not really about Olympic medals. It's the it's the relationships you build, it's the lessons you learn, it's developing uh, transferable skills and how you do all that. But at the same time, I was dreaming of jumping eight feet, which had never been done before, and it wasn't really a lot of evidence that I would ever do it early on. Yeah. So when someone giving me that message early on, could have derailed that dream. So I don't really know how to navigate that. Uh, I, I I kind of talk myself in circles. I say, look, you hold on to that dream, and you work really, really hard. But while you're working on that dream, make sure you understand your purpose, and there's some greater lessons in there. You're developing a lot of those skills during that journey to prepare you for right. whenever you finish the day. But you really want to protect the impossible dream. You know, and some kids may never get there, but you just really don't know. Yeah. As long as you're trying, you know, you didn't fail. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You fail if you didn't get off the couch right. and try. Failure is the important part of success. You Absolutely. just got to keep getting up. 
That's right. It's not so much failing, it's how you respond to it. Yes. I was talking to, gosh, Ryan Leaf a few weeks ago. Wow. He, what a crazy life he's had, but so much of, of all of the issues he had whenever he was younger, he said, I didn't, I never learned how to handle failure. I had no idea how to handle it. And, you know, for years it, it ruined my life. And, you know, the guy went from biggest bust ever to addict to incarceration. And now it works in broadcasting, but also helps so many other addicts and rehab centers. And he said, once he figured out how to accept failure and once he learned to accept help and sort of for the first time in his life, he was, in his 30s in jail, like, wow, I can actually help others. That's not something I ever thought I could do. Now he had purpose. I mean, it, for some, it happens when they're young. For others, it, it, it can happen later. But when it happens, man, it's right. it's it's. It mad. really helps when you have great mentors and people who understand. You know, it's one of the things we do with, uh, I'm the director of Parks, Arts, Recreation, and Cultures. We try to identify coaches who understand developing kids and not worry about winning championships. We have this mentality now. Tony Robichaud talked about it all the time. These kids want to be all-stars from four years on up. And and, and I think it, it sets them up for failure. Life is hard. You're not going to win all the time. And you're going to run into obstacles. And, and you're going to run into difficult relationships. If you, if you get married, you know, you got to learn to understand conflict resolution and all of those things. And a lot of times people want to be the best, think that you never lose. You got to win every time. But mm-hmm. being the best doesn't mean you win all the time. It means that you you know you understand who you are and what your gifts are and you and you put the work ethic in and you you help your teammates and you do all of those things. There's so many other intangibles that go along with that. So, with your job now in in the community, what is in your mind the single biggest issue? You I, maybe you just mentioned that's it, a right? great question. Just like the the mentality of well, you got to win a ring and do all this stuff at four, five, six, seven years old is the biggest issue focus more on winning a game as opposed to developing, you know, a person? So I, I would say that this is because I, I get the question all the time, a kid will say, or a parent or a group, if I'm speaking to a corporate group and they'll say, what's the one thing I need to know to be successful? I get that all the time. And my answer is always the same. The one thing you need to know to be successful is that it's not just one thing. The answer is diverse as the people that you expect, uh, that you, that you deal with. Kids come from different places. They're in different situations. Um, they have different motivations, different skill sets. And I think the key is identifying what obstacles are preventing you from being the best that you could be. And those, and if you can identify that, then you address that. And once you address that, there's another one right behind it. I think we're trying to focus on one thing when there's, there's so many issues to be addressed, but each issue is not everybody's issue. It may be this subset issue. And I think you have to have, just like you have sports-specific coaching, you know, on the track team, when I went out there, the whole track team, we warmed up together. We did all these things together, but then we separated. The jumpers went jump, and the sprinters went sprint, and the distance went do distance, and the messaging was specific. But not only did I go to jumpers, the long jumpers went to the pit, the high jumpers went to the high jump pit, right. uh, you know, the pole vaulters went to the pole vault pit, and then the information, you know, you have to identify um, those issues that are preventing you from being successful as an individual, being successful as a team, and and you address those. And until we do that, I think one of the big issues is that we don't do that. We think that this one answer 
will fix everything else. And then you do that, and then you realize it's something else. Yeah, it's not something where there's a, a magic elixir. No. Here we go, we found it. And then no. you just... And even if you do find it, it's something else behind it. Just right. You, you, you don't just... It's a journey. Fix it. And you, just always, you have to get better every day. Hollis Conway, our guest, a little impromptu conversation here. So, uh, last thing, what is your official title now? I am Director of Parks, Arts, Recreation, and Culture, Park. And what is your ultimate goal before we let you run in this position? You know, I actually, my wife and I talk about this all the time because we're old enough to where a lot of our friends are retiring and they're starting to do all the things they, they dreamed of doing. And my wife and I was like, you know, we've done all that. We're kind of backwards. You know, I've traveled the world. I've been over 36 different countries. I've been almost every state in the United States. We've seen a lot of things. We we love it right here. Uh, my, my goal is to to serve this community uh, the best I can until I can't do it anymore. Uh, we're not looking to travel. You know, I have a daughter in New York. We go there. We have a, a, a grandbaby in Houston that we like to go see, and I have three other grandchildren in Houston also. So we're just kind of family-oriented, loving our community, loving opportunity to serve this community. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just a local guy enjoying, trying to enjoy as much Cajun sports as this I can. This is kind of retirement for you. Yeah, this is re- I'm retired working. Right, right. <laughs> and then I was famous retired. in the sport that didn't make any money, so I have to work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Hollis Conway has been our guest. It's great having you, man. I um, I appreciate. We had to do it again. Appreciate you just jumping. Let's definitely do it again. I appreciate you just jumping on here and um, literally just jumping in. Come on in. He's like, I will. I will. And remember, tell ask him. Say, Jake, how's How's your eyesight? How's your eyesight? Yeah. And if he doesn't say it's twenty twenty, if he's just like it's fine, be like, is it twenty (laughs) twenty? Make sure. Make sure. Hollis, man, thank you so much. Yes, sir. All right, Dan Lust, sports attorney, joining us next right here is the great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to 3 and get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Back into the Great Scott Show. Been a fun show this morning. Coach Michael Desimo, Olympic medalist Hollis Conway, and now we have Dan Lust, sports attorney, podcast host for the Conduct Detrimental, the sports law coverage that you get with he and his partner over there, and um, just tremendous insight. Professor at New York Law School, and uh, our guest right now here on the Great Scott Show. Good morning, Dan. I imagine uh, the sports world has kept you busy as of late with some of the stories out of the NFL. Scott, I was going to say you missed one thing in my byline. Maybe the most uh, busy man in America in the last three days between uh, all those fun stories are going to get into. But uh, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now, so I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. What, what is, well, off the top, as, as a lawyer, what's the most intriguing? Let's start with the Deshaun Watson thing. What is the most intriguing aspect of where we're at now which i correct me if i'm wrong the latest is 
The NFL plans to appeal. There are reports out there that they're looking maybe a year, maybe 12, a fine. What, what is most intriguing in the, the latest developments in this Deshaun Watson situation? So I like how you asked it as intriguing. I'll, I'll give you just my, my overall thoughts. Like I, in addition to being a, you know, a lawyer, I, I am a casual better, right? Sports betting is legal over in New York. I, I think it's very interesting to watch these sports betting lines kind of, and these sports books kind of panic, right? I, I don't know if there are lawyers on staff helping them come up with these lines, but, you know, if you're really following it, there's some, uh, some trends to take advantage of, right? Watson hit, hit with this, uh, you know, the fact that the NFL appealed. I think the Browns over-underline for the season went from like nine and a half to eight and a half, and I'm sitting here as the attorney, right? I watched the Tom Brady saga play out. Brady was suspended, but he took the case to federal court, and that suspension didn't take effect for a full season. So the line just moved by a full win, yet the most recent case we have on point, Tom Brady, he didn't serve his suspension that year. He actually served it the following year. So someone in the sports books is not paying attention to legal press. And so I, I find that part to be intriguing. So I would get into it. But I, I, I find that interesting that the betting markets don't really, not really paying attention to these legal stories in, in the ways that they should. So with that, like the, the, the Players Association made it clear they weren't going to appeal. And when they did that, that was, I guess, Sunday evening, we kind of figured, okay, this, Rob, this, this Sue Robinson uh, decision might not be as strong as, as perhaps we were thinking it was going to be. Then the NFL appeals. We don't know exactly how long yet, but the fact that the, the like, at, I doubt that Deshaun Watson and, and the PA is going to appeal now. I mean, I, I guess they could do it in the next 30 minutes. Like they're what, what's their strategy uh, assuming that the NFL appeals, but like what, once that happens, what is the strategy from Watson and the players association? Uh, here's, I mean, the, it's a couple things, right? The NFL controls the appeal. So the NFL PA, you know, the NFL is appealing to essentially themselves. They're appealing to Roger Goodell or whoever he appoints to hear the hearing. So literally, the NFL could be appealing to Roger Goodell. So the fact that the NFL appealed, right, I think they have some indication of the fact that they're going to win on appeal, that the suspension is going to be upped to a number, maybe a year, maybe some, somewhere in the middle. Um, and even if Goodell appoints someone to kind of serve, uh, you know, as the, the quote-unquote, like, independent person here, it's Goodell appointing someone. So, you know, if Goodell appoints someone and that person decides against Roger Goodell, uh, probably that person's never going to get an appointment from Goodell again. So, you know, it's kind of dirty pool uh, at this level of the appeal. If I'm the NFLPA, what my strategy is is to make this thing as messy as possible, right? Because I think there there's one thing that the NFLPA, uh, you know, and Watson and the league, they're all in agreement on. They all do want this thing in the past. The NFL wants it put in the past with a much heavier suspension so they don't be seen as being a light on women's rights. And the NFLPA and Watson won in the past because they just want their player to focus on football. So if the NFLPA makes this as messy as possible, I think that's going to force or get a better likelihood of forcing a settlement between the two parties because the NFL doesn't really want this thing to go to federal court. Um, and I don't think Watson does either, but if Watson threatens to muddy the waters, hey, I'll come public about the arguments I want to make about the owners, right, about how Bob Kraft wasn't suspended for his allegations with respect to, you know, a massage parlor, those type of conversations, those type of news stories, I think the NFL wants to avoid. So if I'm the NFLPA, if I'm one of those lawyers that's arguing the case, my goal here is to make this thing as messy as possible to try to work a settlement, to try to make the NFL want this thing to go away. Yeah, I... I... 
I agree with that. I, I brought that up Monday. We were on the air when the news broke, and I said, I expect the NFL to appeal, but maybe not for a really stiff, year-long, huge fine because they want the NFLPA to accept it because they don't want, you know, the NFLPA made it pretty clear, as you know, Dan, like, all right, if you guys want to take this far, we're just going to remind everybody of all the dirty laundry. And since Goodell represents the owners, I was thinking they're going to appeal because they have to because they don't want to look weak. But I, I guess I was wrong because a lot of, maybe I wasn't, but a lot of the reports and suggestions, rather, that I've seen from those that are citing sources is that the NFL is going to go for something pretty significant. So does that just mean that there are, there's enough owner support? I mean, maybe Robert Kraft or Jerry Jones or Dan Snyder doesn't want this thing to go to federal court, but is, are there enough other owners that are like, you know, we don't mind. And as the majority here, go ahead and, and, and you know, hit them, with, hit them with a year, hit them with a huge fine. Um, it's tough to say, right? I think there's two, when I was trying to figure out whether the NFL was going to appeal this or not, one of the decisions I'm not appealing was like, hey, if you appeal this, you basically cheapen Judge Robinson's role in the whole case. So uh, the NFL decided that didn't matter. They chose the blue pill. The blue pill was, hey, we don't want to look light to you know these women's rights groups and these groups coming out and saying the suspension was too light. Um, the other group, the one that you mentioned, is right the owners. In the backdrop of all this, which we shouldn't lose sight on, somehow Deshaun Watson's team turned this situation into giving him the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history, $230 million. So, okay, it's great for the player, right? It's a big win for player empowerment. But if it's a big win for the players, right, I, the other way, it's viewed as a big loss for ownership, that they're losing control over that guaranteed money. So, you know, I've, I've heard the conspiracy theorists saying that people are upset at the Browns for giving out that money to a player, right, who was in the middle of a sexual assault investigation and whatnot. So, yeah, there, there's certainly that angle of it. Um, you know, Scott, I... I uh, you know, I did mention I'm, I'm watching this from like the betting perspective, just how my, my brain works. Watson took like a, a crazy gamble. If you really think about what he did, there were reports that he could have uh, accepted 12 games from the NFL and just moved on. No decision from Judge Robinson. He would have he could have accepted 12 games, and this thing is put in the past. So Watson gambled a the judge. Uh, we'll, we'll call it like a legal parlay, so to speak. You know, and you have to win both ends of it. Watson gambled that a Judge Robinson was going to issue a fine of less than or a suspension of less than 12 games. So. Got the first leg of the parlay right, but the second leg of the parlay was that the NFL wouldn't appeal this. So obviously he got that that leg wrong. And in parlay world, you know, you need to get both right or else you lose the bet. And that bet it's going to be a costly one because the NFL is reportedly looking at a suspension of an indefinite length of at least a year. And the way this was initially reported, like a month ago, when this started circulating, you know, or, or you know, circulated that the NFL was looking for this, that indefinite length is whenever the NFL feels he's ready to be reinstated. So it's the same suspension that Calvin Ridley got. You know, he's suspended for at least a year because of the sports betting. And then it's up to the NFL as to whether they were whether and to what extent they want to reinstate him. Uh, and I think for Watson's purposes, that's probably when his uh, civil cases run up, uh, when, they, when the last case goes to trial, which at least at this point is scheduled for April of 2023. Um, but, you know, you know no, no guarantee that case is actually heard for trial in April 2023. That could extend into next year's offseason. And then uh, all of a sudden we're here once again, Scott. So a very big gamble on Watson's part, and I, I think one that was probably ill-advised, all things considered. Interesting. ESPN Lafayette, great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather, visiting with sports attorney Dan Lust. Um, uh, from a salary standpoint, it's been well-documented. 
the layout of his salary, right? $230 million guaranteed as long as he's not suspended. Um, minimal game checks in this season so he doesn't lose a lot of money if he's suspended for games. But if you get to next season and he's suspended, that changes. I think that's another reason maybe you know they don't want this thing to get dragged out or why the, the Players Association wouldn't appeal. But um, the salary side of this I find interesting because, one, it has to be at play in the mind of Watson and his lawyers and how Look, if we're going to miss some time, we want it to be now as opposed to later. And then two, the optics of it, right? The NFL doesn't want to say, well, you know, you had all these accusations, you settled some civil suits, and you still became the highest paid player ever uh, and barely lost any money. Um, what, what is, like, you mentioned the, the betting side of things and how it interests you. The layout of his contract and the, I'm not going to say finagling, but the... Um, Ah, what's the word I'm looking for? The strategy involved from both his agent and I would guess some lawyers. How, how much does that interest you? And, and is there a, a side to this story that maybe, you know, the public isn't talking about all that much? Definitely interests me. And I think finagling is probably the right word, Scott. Is that, is that a legal term? Uh, you would know. You're the lawyer, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, you know, so here's the thing, right? Uh, for better or for worse, the real MVP from a business perspective is Deshaun Watson's agent who used this leverage, created a, a bidding war, so to speak, you know, between I think it was the Falcons, uh, the Panthers, and the Saints who were all trying to get Deshaun Watson, um, you know, after the he was cleared of criminal charges, at least uh, for the time being, uh, to develop this bidding war. Uh, so, you know, that's how he got that salary. And then when the dust cleared, $1 million base salary for this year. And then I think it's a $46 million base salary for 2023. So, again, it's speaking to the same kind of gambling odds and trying to figure out what Watson will do. Watson has clearly threatened to take the case to federal court. Now, could that be a threat to work a better settlement? Sure. And what's the narrative for saying that he's not actually going to take this to federal court? It's the one that you just mentioned. If this suspension... Uh, you know, if, if Watson, let's say, which we do expect, we do expect him to get an increased suspension from this intermediate level of appeal. And then the question is whether to take it to federal court. So if Watson does that, he will, you know, generally, as players do with what Zeke did, what Brady did, what I would tell my client to do is when you take it to federal court, you seek what's called a temporary restraining order or an injunction. Same, same premise. That would basically stay the NFL suspension, which, you know, we kind of got into with respect to that week one business. But if that case, right, lasts for an entire year at the federal court circuit, which it might, right, the wheels of justice turn very slowly, then that suspension doesn't take it, you know, into effect until the following year, 2023. So right now people have, you know, well reported that six missed game checks for Watson on a $1 million base salary. I don't know, that's like 300000 It's a lot of money, but for Watson, who just signed a $45 million signing bonus, it's not that big of a deal. But if he were to miss like six games, 10 games, 12 games in 2023, all of a sudden you have to deduct that from a $46 million salary. So if you miss half the season and you're getting paid $46 million, that's all of a sudden $23 million that you're losing in, in suspension. So the finagling to give Watson a $1 million base salary for this year I think done was was done with the anticipation or expectation that he'd get you know, suspended for ten games, twelve games, some amount of games that would be contained within this upcoming season. But if you appeal it and you really fight this thing on its merits uh, all the way up to federal court, you know then you're then you're risking that forty six million dollars. So my my inclination is that there, this case will be settled at some point in time for uh, a higher number than six, 
but a number that contains all of the games within this 2022 season. But we'll see. Watson, uh, he, he said he's done nothing wrong, right? He's had his press conferences. People have chastised him, including Judge Robinson, for not showing any remorse. So if he wants to fight this thing up on the merits and just say, I didn't do anything, I am not accepting a settlement, then uh, all bets are off. Really, this could, this could uh, carry into 2023, which... For us sports lawyers, I mean, that would be a treat for us. I'm, I'm happy to take it. Dan Lust, our guest, um, you can follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust and check out the Conduct Detrimental podcast, the Sports Law Intersection, at Con Detrimental on Twitter. You can learn how to get all of their good stuff there, the weekly newsletter, the pod, and whatnot. Um, one other football, uh, well, a couple other football stories, Dan, if you have a minute. Um, Dan Snyder, I mean, the guy's a scumbag. I have no problem saying it, um, has been, is, will continue to be, uh, manages to continue to skate by the Washington commanders fan base, wants nothing more than for him to just be gone, but he's always wielded a lot of power. He's always gotten away with quite a bit. Um, you know, is, is, is his upcoming, you know, testimony, is he going to just continue to do what he always does, which is just be a scumbag, but just just slip right through? Scott, is uh, scumbag a legal term of art, too? I, you it got is, me on for, the it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is the interesting one. There's probably one other NFL story we can, we can pack in here, right? So, um, you know, Snyder, uh, I, I think, right, I, I don't know if the NFL wants to suspend him again. You know, he testified a uh, very... Um, you know, uh, private, uh, you know, no, no one's heard or seen a word of the transcript of these depositions. Obviously, Roger Goodell testified in front of Congress, and it was, you know, we, Scott, we live-streamed it for two and a half hours, giving live commentary. We, we made a spectacle out of that, but Snyder didn't give anyone that opportunity because as a condition to his testifying in front of Congress, he said no television cameras, no public testimony, and, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, at least my sources around the situation, He's fighting to have that transcript ever released. So we might not ever know what he said during those uh, insane 11 hours uh, of reported testimony. But, uh, you know, where, where I, I think things get interesting, right? Uh, analogous, you know, the timing has been crazy in NFL circles. You know, I did allude to the fact that just sports law story after sports law story. Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, gets suspended for six games, fined $1.5 million, team docked, uh, you know, two draft picks, a first rounder and a third rounder because of, uh, you know, allegations pertaining to tanking, right, losing games on purpose and also tampering. So, you know, and obviously a written report was issued with respect to what the Dolphins did wrong. So uh, people, I think, rightfully are saying, okay, you guys just hit Stephen Ross over the head and you issued a, a written report, right, a scathing report. Where is that report for Dan Snyder, right? Why, why is Dan Snyder, you know, in an, on an indefinite leave of absence, what did you find that he did wrong? We can look at the Watson report and the Judge Robinson decision. It's tangible. It's 16 pages. You can hold it in your hand. You can see that Judge Robinson found that Deshaun Watson engaged in four counts of sexual assault, but that the NFL met their burden, right? We don't know what Snyder did. We don't know what, why the NFL fined him. I think it was $10 million. And this, the NFL's lack of transparency, I think, is a little alarming. That They don't even want to tell you what they found that, that Snyder did wrong. So um, we'll see. I think the added pressure of the Ross case and now the Watson case, I think it might force the NFL's hand to kind of reopen the Snyder saga and really let the public in on, on what Snyder has done wrong, what he was accused of, and really what they found occurred. Um, you know, we, we need that level of transparency in 2022. Seems like he'll – I I agree with you, but – I believe it when I see a type of deal because this guy tends to just skate by. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Dolphins one. 
I, I always pay attention to the strategy of when the NFL releases certain statements, right? I'm on the email list, so I get the email when the news breaks. Oh, Miami, they, you know, they, they basically write out the report and the details of it. And I laughed when I got to the part about tanking, which was basically, he said it, but he didn't mean it. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> but all the other stuff he said and did, he definitely was sincere about. And they can't come out and actually admit that, you know, he was – they that he told the coach, I'll pay you hundred grand to tank a game and mean it um, because they can't acknowledge that for all kinds of reasons, which I think everybody listening is smart enough to understand why. Um, but I, they, two different investigations, right? There's a reason they released it all at once, and it wasn't just because they wanted to get it all out of the way. You released, hey, we looked into the tanking thing, but he wasn't serious, and that's the only thing out there. Well, guess what? That's going to be the talking point. That's going to be the vocal point. Everyone's going to say, are you kidding me? But you release all the other stuff at the same time um, about tampering and tampering happened and they got fined and Tom Brady's involved and Sean Payton's involved and you have these big names and all this other stuff. And now that kind of becomes the focus. And now people are arguing, well, why wasn't Brady punished? Or why, why did this happen? Or why, why was Miami punished this badly? Whatever side you wanted to take on it, and my thing, I just kept rolling my eyes at the tanking thing. I'm like, come on, man. Like, this should be the talking point because this is the serious thing. This is the most serious accusation in my mind. And, you know, I, I just, there, there is always, and you know this, Dan, there is always a strategy, a, a big strategy to how and when the NFL releases these findings. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in lockstep with you. It's almost like... Uh you know, a sleight of hand trick. They're like, hey, look over here. This was the worst tampering allegations of all time. And, uh, yeah, we, we did find what Brian Flores said happened. And, uh, Stephen Ross said this a couple times, offering uh, money to lose games. But don't worry about that. The tampering thing is what we, we care about. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't buy it either. I'll give you a little bit of a, a legal lesson, Scott, for, for you and your listeners. You know, what, what essentially the NFL is saying is that Stephen Ross said this. Right, they're confirming Brian Fuller's account that that Stephen Ross actually offered him money to lose games on purpose. But they're like, hey, he didn't mean it. He was joking. Not a big deal. So for legal purposes, the actual standard, if someone makes an offer to do something in contract law and they're joking, right? Like Scott, I'll pay you a million dollars if you climb the flagpole or something. Whatever, whatever I could say that maybe seems like a joke. The standard is whether the person that heard that offer thought that was a real offer, and then you have to judge them on a reasonable person standard. So if a reasonable person viewed my offer, like a million dollars to climb the flagpole, uh, I'd probably think that person, you know, uh, that's not a reasonable offer, right? I think the person would understand that I'm joking. Now, for Flores' purposes, I think his recollection is that, you know, Stephen Ross said it multiple times, right? And and Flores, who I, I would consider a reasonable person, right? He's an NFL head coach, uh, you know, uh, with the Dolphins, and now he's with the Steelers, really highly thought of guy. Um, he, he thought this was a serious offer, so much so that, according to him, he reduced this to a writing as almost a complaint within the organization. Like, I feel uncomfortable of these comments that Ross is making. So from Florida's perspective, he thought this was a real offer to lose games on purpose. And why wouldn't he, right? Hashtag tank for Tua. I remember that social media every very well at the time. So they almost believed Brian Flores, but, like, they didn't want to go as far as to actually give him the credibility because, Scott, like, in the process of this whole Deshaun Watson thing, right, if the NFL came out and said we are, you know, punishing the, the Dolphins because we believe the allegations that the owner of the team bribed the coach to lose and they lost on purpose, I mean, that would be the story of all stories. So I think they had to do this 
sleight of hand trick to kind of get us off the scent. But it, it didn't fool you or I. I, I, I read that decision. I, I think we all know why they were actually being punished. Oh, yeah. There's no question. And I think for um, for Ross, you know, he's an owner, a million and a half, cool. He'll just go watch games on his yacht and return to the stadium, you know, in mid-October. It's The big thing is, you know, losing the draft picks, and I know they've acquired other ones from other teams, but, you know, it's interesting that Tom Brady, uh, the three forfeitures of first-round picks in NFL history, you know, Spygate, Deflategate, Tamper gate, I guess we won't add gate to it, but you might as well for consistency. Uh, Tom Brady's attached to all of those, Dan. Coincidence? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Too, uh, too yeah, tough to yeah. say, I think I just, it's fair. It's, I think it's fair. I mean, come on. He holds a lot of NFL records. He also holds that one. Were you surprised? I wasn't. Because, like, I, I, last thing, when it comes to tampering, I, I had some guys on with me um, yesterday morning, and we were discussing it. And, like, everybody tampers. I'm like, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but you, that's like saying everyone breaks the law. Well, some people speed and some people do pretty heinous. Like, there's different levels of tampering. I personally, reaching out to Sean Payton's agent, who also represents Brady, uh, in January, right, that's not as big a deal to me. I'm not saying it's cool. He's under contract. But that's not as big a deal to me as having a player under contract twice with two different teams, bringing them onto a yacht, talking about giving them ownership and other things like that's a different, those are not the same level of tampering in both instances. So I, I, I wasn't just going to be like, ah, everyone tampers, whatever. Like I thought the Brady thing was, was kind of serious, but Hey, Hey, you know, he's the goat. He just turned 45. Yay. We're not, I mean, he, it, it wasn't like Miami was tampering with himself. I mean, he was a party to it according to reports. So, uh, I wasn't surprised that Brady wasn't punished because, you know, it's uh, we talked about optics of everything. But were you surprised that it, it, it had nothing to do with him at all and it was just a punishment for Stephen Ross and the Dolphins? Um, you know, at least the way the NFL viewed it is that the Dolphins were the ones behind the outreach. They initiated the outreach. So I get that version of it. Um, but then again, right, what was Brady offered? Brady was offered to start for a team while being a part owner of the team. So... That's got to be a pretty attractive option. Um, you know, so I don't know, take, take it for what it's worth. And also for, for the Dolphins perspective, right. They'd be competing against, you know, the new England Patriots twice a, twice a year, Belichick, uh, you know, over in Foxborough. Um, I think that was probably a pretty attractive option for Brady to, to do. Um, but to your, your larger point and why, you know, if you're trying to figure out why I don't buy, buy the suspension related to tampering, we hear tampering allegations a lot. Like right now, maybe underneath the radar to some, the NBA is investigating the New York Knicks for tampering with respect to the signing of Jalen Brunson and the Philadelphia 76ers with respect to the signing of James Harden and a couple other guys because those they believe conversations occurred during a period where you, you were not allowed to talk to those players. So, I don't know, that happens once a year, twice a year, three times a year in, in pro sports, maybe more than that. Um, and, I don't know, we don't see suspensions of owners. That, that doesn't happen, right? We don't see forfeitures or first-round picks. Sometimes you, you can lose a second-round pick in, in, you know, in NBA circles. But it's a pretty uh, – and a, and a $1.5 billion fine. So these were kind of unprecedented suspensions with respect to tampering. Now, have we ever heard of a suspension with respect to bribery? <laughs> not, not really. No. Um, so I, I think – you know, in the future, you know, Scott, maybe a year, two years, three years from now, I'll come back on your show and I'll say, hey, 
you know, someone will say, there's no, there's never been a punishment before for bribery allegations. And I'll be like, uh, let's go back to Stephen Ross over here. That's, that's uh, what I think this was. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, if for your smart fans, I, I, I do think this was certainly a, a bribery punishment cloaked as a, as a, as a uh, tampering one. Dan Lust has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Check out the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to the intersection of sports and law, he is your go-to. And um, it's always great talking to you, man. Thanks for the, the knowledge and the education. And uh, I, I find that side of sports interesting because I'm always following the story within the story. Um, and, you know, why the why these leagues do specific things. It's never as simple as, well, you did something and you got punished. There are all kind of, you know, pieces of that tree and a lot of branches to it. And you do a great job of breaking those down and, uh, and bringing it to life in, in terms that our audience can understand. So I appreciate it, man. Continued success. And uh, let's talk again in the future. Thank you, Scott. Anytime. My pleasure. All the best. That is Dan Lust. And that is it for The Great Scott Show. Big thanks to Coach Michael Desimo, to Hollis Conway, to Dan Lust. Tomorrow, Gus Kattengill will be on. We'll talk to Brad Topham. We'll do a little Seamhead segment, talk some Major League Baseball. And uh, we'll have some player interviews with some Raging Asian football players, uh, including quarterbacks Ben Walrich and Chandler Fields. That's coming your way tomorrow on The Great Scott Show. That's it for me. The Dan Patrick Show's next. Talk to you tomorrow.